0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, turn your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 5. We've been doing a series the last couple of weeks uh, called Fervent. And really, it's it's kind of setting us up for the for the, uh, the new year, 2020. We really want to be the kind of people, the kind of church that is... Learning how to rely on God in a more real way, a more practical way, by trusting in Him, by entrusting to Him the things that are on our hearts, the things that we've been praying for, and maybe you've been hoping for several years that God would come through. We want you to know that, that God moves in answer to fervent and earnest prayer. And, and so, this is really our, our, our core passage that we've been looking at. Last Sunday, we looked at the Lord's Prayer on how to actually grow in a relationship with God and the sort of the, some, some of the things that need to be a part of our praying when we are praying fervent prayers. But James chapter 5, let me remind us once again this great promise we find in God's Word. James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a human being. He struggled like we do, is what James is saying. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Again, that verse, verse 16, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, is another translation. What James is trying to uh, interject into the church is this, this concept of, man, we can go to God with anything, And if it's according to his will that God promises to move, it might not be in our timing, it might not be in the way that we were hoping or thinking or even praying, but God promises to move. Ordinary people, is what James is saying, who pray to an extraordinary God can expect great things. Now last week we talked about, if you weren't with us, you can go to our our uh, website, rvcfresden.com, also our, our app, and you can uh, download the message. We talked about growing in that relationship as Jesus gave us some uh, some insight in, in the kinds of things that ought to be a part of our praying as we are praying fervent prayers. Uh, it's the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That was sort of the the, the basis of the kinds of things that we bring before God, having a regular time set before God. Now, this is a part of the Christian life. If you are a follower of Jesus, it means that you've been adopted into his family, you're his son or daughter, and like any relationship, you have to carve out time and set it aside to actually meet with God. Now, I've been a Christian since I was 18, so for the last seven or eight years, this is what I've been doing, bless, give or take, 30 or 40 years is, it, is it, It's kind of different seasons of life. There was a, a season in life when I was, you know, single and, you know, living at home, and so I'd, you know, go out for a prayer walk around my, you know, my neighborhood, or, or I might go to a coffee shop with a journal and literally write down some of the things I shared last week, that acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. It kind of encompasses the Lord's Prayer. If you weren't with us, you could jot that down. A stands for adoration. You think about one thing I could praise God for. C stands for confession. What is something that, you need to confess to god a sin an area of struggle that you've committed and you say god i want your forgiveness t stands for thanksgiving what's one thing you can thank god for and s is stands for this this word for prayer supplication what is something that you need god to do what is something a friend or loved one needs god to interject in their life and you just kind of walk through that prayer model and again it's about relationship it's not about formulas and you got to make sure that you actually are understanding that it's not God checking off the list. Well, you didn't do the A and the C. And so, you know, I don't want you to hear, I don't want to hear about your needs that you have, you know. So when you have a need, you call upon God. But again, this is just sort of building a relationship with God that leads a person to have that fervent, earnest life of prayer. My wife, uh, when, when she, you know, has her quiet time, we get up in the morning. And she'll sit in, in the bed and she'll read her Bible and she'll listen to her Bible uh, on, you know, on, as someone reads it to her. Uh, and, uh, you know, what is that Bible app that like talks to you and stuff? Siri, like read me John 316. You can do that. And, and, and then she'll spend time praying for the different things that are, for, are in her life, you know, that she needs. Things that she wants to say to God and confess to God and thank God for. And then the needs of our, our, our loved ones and our church and our family. It's, it's developing a relationship. And so Jesus told us to, to, to set time aside, go into uh, uh, finding a place, right? Finding a time you're going to meet with God and actually making it a priority for your life. It was John Wesley who, who wrote years back, he said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And so you commit to meet with God on a daily basis. That's one promise or, or one kind of habit, if you would, that, that I, I could guarantee your life will significantly improve. Your attitude will improve. How you handle life and how you receive stress and receive trials will completely change in 2020 by that one simple habit of spending time with God on a consistent, regular basis. So what happens when you mess up and you miss? How many of you guys ever, like, you, you make a commitment, oh, I'm going to spend time with God, and then you, like, look at your calendar and you're like, okay, next week, Lord. Anybody like that? Listen. Pastors struggle with that. You're like, you're in charge of your schedule. How do you struggle spending time with God? It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And and you mess up and you fall back and you you don't fall through with your little commitment. Your Bible reading app tells you, like, hey, are you okay? Are you mad? Like, what's going on? How come we haven't seen each other for a while? You just get back going. You just get back going. It's not religion. It's God wanting to be a part of your life and invite you and I to come before him with our praise, with our thanksgiving, with our confession, and with our request that we go before God. God promises to answer prayer. And it's all based around relationship. Last week we talked about it's not how you pray. Maybe you've been to a prayer meeting and somebody, like, changes their style of speaking. You know, like, okay, let's go to prayer. Lord Jesus! You know what I mean? Just like going, whoa, what just happened here? Or they close their prayer in Jesus' name, but it's not in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Emphasis. Oh, that's the one. That's the, take. That's the thing that makes God respond. You didn't say in Jesus' name. You just said Jesus. That's a formula. That's not how it works. It's about relationship. When my kids will call me, I'll pick up the phone. When Addison learns how to FaceTime her, Papa, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm going to pick up the phone, right? Just go walk around and talk to my granddaughter. Because they belong to me. And that's how God responds to our praying. It's because you're his son or your daughter. When you and I learn how to pray and have that understanding that, God, you're responding to me as a perfect father would. A God who is not only able, but because he's a father, he's willing. And sometimes he might even veto some of the dumb things that you and I pray for. Some of the things that we might ask God to do that are just clearly not a part of his will. He's so gracious and loving as a father. He knows best. He'll actually say, you know what? Because I love you so much, I'm not going to answer that prayer with an affirmative. Remember that he loves you. Remember that you belong to him. And the promise of answered prayer, by the way, is only given to those who belong to him and who know him and have a relationship with him. That's who has a promise of answered prayer. Here's what John tells us in John 1:12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And when you believe in Jesus and when you confess your sins to him, he adopts you into his family. He makes you alive according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And you have a relationship established. And because it's a relationship, you begin to cultivate that relationship. You begin to draw near to God and begin to set time aside to spend time with Him in prayer. We began this series on January 5th, and I said a statement that is still true today. The the greatest tragedy in life, the greatest tragedy in 2020, will not be unanswered prayer, but it will be unoffered prayer before God. It's because God desires to answer our prayers. We know that God desires to answer the prayers of His people, and He does. And he answers them in three ways yes, no, and then wait. It's a timing issue. You prayed about something for a while, and it's a timing issue. And it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't mean God has said no. It just means you keep pressing on and you keep seeking after God and you keep asking and asking and asking. He says we can come before him with a request. We read a few weeks back in Hebrews 4. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. And Paul also says in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. We're encouraged by the example of Elijah who had a nature like ours. He was a human being who had his struggles. He had his moments of, of doubt He had his moments of frustration and anger, even after this great moment that we read about in James 5, where he prayed and God, and he prayed seven times and then God released rain from heaven after three and a half years to bless the nation of Israel and sustain that nation. But even after that moment, he got to a weak spot in his life. He even asked God, God, just take my life. I'm done. I'm so frustrated and so scared and and whatnot, but he was a man like us. And we're encouraged to earnestly pray and God heard Elijah's prayer and he answered. But what about those times when you feel like that your prayers are not being answered? You feel like maybe your prayers are going up to the ceiling and they're dropping back down. Anybody have moments like that? How about a year like that? You feel like, man, something is not happening. This morning we're gonna talk about what hinders fervent prayer in our life. What are some of the things that hinder God from moving an answer to fervent, earnest prayer. Again, we're the only ones that can actually hinder prayer in our lives. We're the only ones that can hinder God from moving in our lives because of maybe something that's going on. Now, the obvious one why God doesn't answer prayer is that, well, it was never offered to, uh, before the Lord, so we didn't pray. So God can't clearly answer that prayer. But we learn from the Bible, in fact, that if you're taking notes today, and by the way, because we don't have um, a bulletin anymore, out at the Connection Center and on your way in, we have these free little journals that we want you to take with you and uh, write your, your notes in, write your prayers out in. You can keep it for yourself and let it be a great tool that will help you walk with God on a regular, consistent basis. But there are certainly some things we see in Scripture that hinder maybe the greatest ones. There's many in our lives, but this is perhaps five that, that, that kind of you and I might stumble against that hinders fervent prayer from happening in our lives and God from moving in answer to them. Here's one of them. Number one is what would hinder fervent prayer in our lives is selfish prayers. They're selfish. As we learned last week, Jesus said a part of our praying is that, God, we align ourselves up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then this this concept, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We align ourselves up with God's kingdom. We say, God, I really want everything in my life to be lined up with your kingdom, your will in my life. But because I'm Gordon and because I'm a human being, self actually can get in the way of fervent praying, right? Is this a true statement or not? If I took a picture of you right now and I posted it on our Instagram page, and you open up your Instagram in church, totally not something you should do, by the way. I'm not even going to ask a confession right now, because I have. Not when I'm up here teaching, but whatever. Who's the first person you will look at in that picture on Instagram? Help me out. Yourself. And you're like, oh, no, 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 take that down. You're sending a message off to our, you know, whoever's running it, like, can you please, I'll give you money. What do you need? I'll sign up for kids ministry. Please take the picture down. (laughs) Here's what James says about why God, what hinders our, our fervent praying, its selfish motives. See, James says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, as human beings, we're totally prone to selfishness and self. We put our interests ahead of others all the time, right? And sometimes we put it ahead of God's interests as well. It might be the right things that you're praying for, but for the wrong reasons. You might pray, Lord, use my life. But what's attached to that? So that other people can see how wonderful you are or how great I am, or so that we could gain a following and, you know, some have some sort of notoriety? A good question to ask is, if God granted this request, would it bring glory to Him in some way? Would it advance His kingdom? Would it help you in some way, in a positive, you know, manner? Would it help somebody else? Would it help you grow spiritually? So in that prayer model, the, the Lord's Prayer uh, we're followers of Jesus, and we put his kingdom first, and so we desire his will above everything else. You might want to j- take some like, sort of inventory today and say, man, some of the things I'm asking for, are they really selfish in nature? Are they something that actually is going to advance my life in a positive way towards the Lord or somebody else? So that's one way that we can hinder fervent prayer in our life being answered, is selfish motives. Here's a second one, unconfessed sin unconfessed sin. We all sin. We all sin probably more than we even know and understand. But, but, but when, uh, when David wrote in Psalm 66, verse 18, he said this, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Another translation says, if I cling to sin in my heart, the Lord will not answer my prayers. It's this idea, of, if not that you and I don't sin, still sin. We have, we have the provision in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us of our sins. So we, we have this great opportunity every single day. God, I've walked in disobedience. God, I've thought something I shouldn't have thought. God, I said something I shouldn't have said. Lord, I've offended somebody I, sh- I, I should have pulled back, right? And, and not done what I had did? I don't know. I have an English teacher as a wife, so we'll get that corrected on the way home. And we get to confess our sin. But what David's talking about here is holding on to it and, and, and not being willing to let it go. It might not be some big, massive sin. It will eventually lead to something destructive in your life or greater destruction, I should say. But this is sort of like, you know, like you're, you're, you're precious. You know what I mean? Like Lord of the Rings fans? Can I get my fellow nerds out here? Right? You know what I mean? It's, just, it's mine, Right. We want it, you know what I mean? Like some eagle. And you're not willing to let it go. And the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart. I want you to turn this over to me. I want you to yield this over to me. This is something that's bringing destruction in your life. And you're not willing to go there with the Lord. Unconfessed sin, it will hinder fervent prayer in your life. David has said that if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. So we examine our hearts before before concluding that God's just not wanting to do that thing. Perhaps there's an area of your life that he's wanting you to surrender to him. Maybe an area that he's been calling you to lay down before him. You ask the Lord, reveal anything in my life. like King David prayed in Psalm 139. This beautiful prayer, a beautiful song that was written about the creation of God and how we're wonderfully made uh, in our mother's womb and that before a word is spoken out of your mouth, the Lord already knows it. He's already seen all the days of your life. The end of the prayer, because of this great knowledge that God has, David says, Lord, I I don't want anything to hinder me knowing you and walking closely with you. He says, search my heart, Lord. Search my heart. And see if there's any way in my life that offends you, right? This isn't about you being revoked from being his son or his daughter. This isn't about, you know, you losing your salvation and, and then, you know, gaining it back because you confessed your sins. And then, you know, Monday morning rolls around, you lost your salvation again. And then by next Sunday, you got it again. That's not how it works. Maybe you were in elementary school and you picked a little daisy and you're just trying to figure out, like, does this girl like me or not? Let's find out. She loves me. She loves me not, right? Does anybody do that before? Right? To the person you're currently married to. (laughs) He loves you. If you've committed your life to him, by the way, he, he allowed you to be a part of his kingdom before you had one moment to do something positive for his kingdom, before you could offer one prayer. He chose you and he adopted you into his family. The only thing you and I need to look at if we're ever doubting God's love, as you look back through the corridor of time and 2,000 years ago, you see a bloody cross with a perfect Savior hanging on, it, hanging on it, and He's absorbing all of the wrath that this world's sin deserves your sin and my sin. So it's not a question of does God love me? It's a question of am I in fellowship with this God who loves me or not? Have I actually backed away from Him because I have this unconfessed sin? Are you holding on to some pet sin that you think is no big deal? It will bring fervent praying to a halt. See, prayer is about relationship. It's about connection. It's about fellowship with the Lord. And when we're walking in darkness, that fellowship is hindered. How can prayer be answered when we're in disobedience to the one we're actually praying to? He speaks to our hearts. He convicts our hearts. And we try to move on without dealing with that particular thing. This isn't about perfection. You and I can never be perfect in this life. But it's about light and darkness. It's about truth and lies. And when we're walking with unconfessed in our life, we're in darkness and we're lying to ourselves. 1 John tells us, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Repentance and confession are the greatest gifts given to a child of God. The fact that you can say, God, I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge to you that I have greatly offended you by this behavior and I confess it as And 1 John 1, 9, the Christian bar of soap, it says, if we confess our sins before the Lord, He is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins or to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we say, God, I want to be the kind of man or woman that when I pray to you, that I deal with some of these issues. Say, God, I don't want to have unconfessed sin. Lord, I want to call it what it is. God speaks to your heart today. Confess it. David said that God listens to our prayers Not because we're perfect, but because we're humble, and we humble our sins, and we call sin exactly what it is, sin. Unconfessed sin will hinder fervent praying. Here's a third one, an unforgiving heart. An unforgiving heart. This is where it starts getting like nasty, huh? Like, dude, you're nasty. Why'd you do this to us, Gordon, today? An unforgiving heart will also hinder fervent prayers. Hey, has anybody f- offended you or wounded you in life? Anybody? Is it really? I'm the only one that has jacked up life from childhood. Okay. C.S. Lewis said a couple great things about about forgiveness. He said everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Isn't that true? Here's what Here's what Paul says about an unforgiving heart, or actually, about forgiveness. He says. He says in Ephesians 4:32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Listen to this: just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Forgive one another, just as God has chosen to forgive you through Christ. C.S. Lewis also said this: to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Your life, my life, according to God's Word, has been restored in right relationship because of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the foundation, a core foundation of the Christian life and cornerstone of our faith is the fact that God has chosen to forgive us. And when we walk around with an unforgiving heart, it clearly can hinder your ability to have that fervent prayer life that has great power, according to James 5. Jesus tells us in Mark's gospel, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Is there somebody that you have bitter feelings towards today? Is there somebody that you have hatred in your heart building up against, that you're not willing to forgive You begin to think of ways that you can get uh, revenge on them or that even better, the Lord and all his awesome angels can help you get revenge on them as well. Jesus made it clear the importance of forgiving others in prayer. And when we don't, man, it does hinder that our walk with God and our ability to have a fervent prayer life that has great power. Forgiving someone by the way, is for you as well. Somebody said forgiveness is like opening up a prison door and realizing you were the prisoner who needed to be let out. Bitterness. They say bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I've never met a person who has been better off, their spouse and their children were better off in life, their co-workers were greatly enhanced, because they held on to a grudge or bitterness. The exact opposite is true, right? When, when, you, when you're around someone who has bitterness in their heart, and you know, everyone could dress it up, right? You know what I mean? Like Weekend and Bernie's it, you can do it, right? You know, like, oh, it's like they're so alive. And then all. you mention somebody's name, and it's just like, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? An unforgiving heart is so toxic to you as a person, to me as a person. But it also, it it, it shuts off this ability for us to call upon God to do great things in our lives and for others when we have that unforgiving heart. It's that idea of forgive us our sins as we take a step of faith and choose to forgive those who've sinned against us. I had a conversation with somebody about really the sort of the wrestling match of, you know, you get wounded in life, right? And then you've got to double down and do the hard lifting to go get some health, right? And then go to forgive somebody. Like, how is that fair? Does anyone else wrestle with these kinds of, like, thoughts in your mind, too? Just going, like, dang, like, what? What? This doesn't seem fair. You know what the answer is? Because it's the only way to freedom, it's the only way for you to get free is to do that heavy lifting and take a step of faith and say, this horrible thing that you have done, minor, major, right? I choose to forgive because I want to be free and I don't want anything in my life that's toxic any longer. It doesn't mean you have to be in my life, right? Restoration and, um, and boundaries are a whole different thing. But forgiveness, I don't need that wound and that pain to continue to control my life. Can I get an amen from some free people today? Right? You know what I mean? When Jairu comes and leads in worship, I just feel like we gotta say amen more and we gotta, right? There we go. I love him. Where's he at? (laughs) There he is. It's the only way you can get free. We cannot enter prayer with bitterness in our heart. And expect to leave with blessings. An unforgiving heart will be a way to hinder and halt fervent prayer. Here's another one. I told you it's gonna get worse. <laughs> Strife in relationships. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? It's almost as if God wants you and I to become better human beings, doesn't it? When we start walking through these ways that we hinder fervent prayer. It, it, we begin with sort of like, Lord, how do I get the genie in the sky to start dishing out some blessings, you know what I mean? Like, Elijah got some rain that that showered down and some great things grew, right? I want to get some power in my prayers so that the Lord rains down and all of a sudden you start walking through things that hinder fervent prayer and you're like going, "Oh, oh Lord, you actually want me to become more and more like you. And so these little moments of tension in relationship to God, it's like, Oh, no, I want to keep drawing you closer to me. Strife in relationships. I know none of us deal with this, and so this is for the next service after this. Strife in relationships. See, God's wanting you and I to not sweep things under the rug, but actually become whole people. We're called by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. He says, Live peaceably with all as long as it is up to you. A strife in a relationship. Can I see some married hands today? Can you give, it, give her a... Uh, all right, here we go. About to, I'm about to bust all my buddies right now. A disturbing verse is in the Bible. You're like, there's lots of disturbing verses in the Bible. This is one of them in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together, she may be weaker than you physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. Here's the disturbing part. So that your prayers will not be hindered. You're like, the pastor did not go over that verse in premarital counseling for a reason. We didn't want you to scare you off. Your treatment of your spouse has a direct correlation that god says i'm going to jump in and i'm going to i'm going to um halt this vertical relationship and you receiving rain shining showering down elijah until you get some of that horizontal relationship fixed and worked out i told you it was disturbing (laughs) People come up to me and say, hey, Gordon, did you pray for me? They look over at Tammy first and they're like, is it all good? Okay, nah, I don't need your prayers today. <laughs> you see, that relationship is supposed to mirror the relationship between Jesus and the church. When Paul says, love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church, it's because it's an important picture. And God, it's almost like, like what, what, are you, what are you talking to me for? Go fix some things in your wife first go stop demeaning her, right? Stop uh, belittling her feelings. Honor her. Seek to understand her needs. She's a co-heir with you of God's grace. Honor, understand, treat as equal. It's so important that God says, I'm going to actually interrupt fellowship with me until it's right. You want power in your prayers? Make your marriage a priority it's not just between husbands and wives, it's between us and others. Again, we're called to live in harmony as much as it depends on us. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Reconciliation, as long as it depends on you. Matthew 18 talks about if someone offended you. So you're in prayer like, oh man, someone's mad at me. I'm going to go and make it right. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. Matthew 18 says someone offends you. You go to them and you say, listen, I need to bring this to your attention. And when they ask for your forgiveness, you give forgiveness. To not forgive to someone who's repented will hinder your prayers too because you're not being obedient in that moment. Here's a final one, doubt. Is an interesting one because I think that um, I kind of like uh, you know on your phone it shows you like you got a good signal and you don't have a good signal. Like I feel like that kind of like my faith almost like might mirror, you know. Um, I have AT&T so I have terrible service. But you just you kind of almost feel like man if I'm, I'm trusting God today. And then maybe that trusting God it, it's like you got to keep going. You got to keep trusting. And then Maybe something else starts to, do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like maybe all the wheels of your bus are falling off at the same time. I'm just going to trust God. And everyone's just like, stop. It's bad. Like, it's not good right now in your life. You kind of feel like, man, I'm kind of believing in you. I'm trusting in you. You see, when we pray fervently before God, we come with expectation. And we trust that he is not only able, but he's also willing to be a God who will come through for us. Here's what James 5, or James 1 tells us, verse 5 through 7, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. To believe, to trust. <clears throat> Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him believe in his abilities, you believe in his willingness to believe that he can do what he says he can do and will do. In First John, it tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we have the confidence that we will receive what it is that we've asked. Show of hands. How many of you guys sometimes pray and go, you know, I'm praying for rain, but I'm not willing to leave the house without an umbrella? Because I really just don't believe right now. I like think we all kind of have moments like that. We're like the, the father who, who had a son who has been overtaken by some demonic spirit and he took his child to the disciples and they couldn't figure out what to do. And so Jesus, he went to Jesus and says, Lord, um, uh, if you're willing, I know you can do this. He says, If I'm willing, he says, All things are possible to the one who believes. What a great quote to have, right? He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He says that's where we kind of a little wavering. How do I get that faith to, to be stronger in my life? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, spending time in your Bible. You know how it's exercising it, exercising it. I believe that every single day, God gives you a little tiny thing. Maybe sometimes it's bigger. Is that a sign, Lord? <laughs> You're like, the game is starting, son. You want to It's not starting. It doesn't start for like another hour and a half. The one that matters is like three and a half hours away. Okay, that might have thrown me off a little bit. There's like a weird kind of thing to just happen right there. <laughs> God, I'm listening. What were we talking about? <laughs> Fervent prayer, things that hinder it, doubt. I believe, there we go, here's, oh, here we go, this, this is what it is, is that every single day, you're going to have something that God's going to allow to come in your life, and you're going to have that voice from the Lord say, will you trust me with this? Will you trust me today? In those days that I take that, like, remember that Indiana Jones moment, where he's just like, he's got to get that, that cup, right, the, uh, the, the Lord's cup? Because, you know, what's his name? Dying? And he's like, I got to take that step, right? And he can't see where he's stepping. And he just goes like this, boom. And then, you know, it's like a cool like, slate walkway. It's a step of faith. Every single day, you've got to take a step of faith. Every single day, you exercise that faith when you say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Doubt will hinder your fervent praying. It's that moment you say, God, I'm going to trust in you. And Lord, even if you don't answer the way I am hoping you come through, I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to believe. God wants you and I to trust him, to believe him, to expect from him. But sometimes the distance between my head, what I know up here, and what I feel and kind of grab a hold of in my heart feels like it's miles and miles away. So I just do what this man says to Jesus. Lord, help my unbelief. What do you do when you come to moments of God? Lord, I, it's hard to keep trusting you. You know what? I'm going to ask you to help me with my doubt. God, I'm going to ask you to remind me. This is why I'm such a big fan of prayer journals. Writing prayers out, what you're praying and asking God to do. Because you can go back and look and you can see, Oh my gosh, this very thing that we were asking God to do, God is coming through. Tammy and I, a year ago, were down in San Diego. Like, Lord, we claim that house on this cliff in the name of Jesus. It didn't work. <laughs> Praying some big prayers for our adult kids. I, man, I'm telling you, we were we we're on that, we were there in, I think it was like sunset cliffs, is where we were at. And we're just like looking out the ocean and we're just going, God. There are some things in our life, there are some things in our, uh, that we want to see you do. Outside of your intervention, no human being can actually make it a reality. Some of these things, we are still waiting and asking and trusting. You jot these things down and you keep pressing in You do some examination. Lord, is there some areas of my life that I'm the one that's hindering this great move that I'm wanting to see happen in my life? And you just lay it out before the Lord. You know what's so awesome about all this stuff? Is that none of it do you have to, he doesn't say like, so straighten it all out and get perfect. And then next week, Gordon has 10 more things that you're hindering your prayer life for. You say, Lord, that's the reality. I don't trust you. Help me to trust you today. God, it's a reality. I have bitter feelings from this person. Lord, help me to take a step of faith and say, God, I forgive them today. God, I have a, a relationship that's, that's, that's jacked up and I'm a part of it and I, I want to find some way to bring reconciliation. God, help there be some movement today to restore that relationship. Lord, there's some sins that I'm holding on to. This morning, Lord, I just say to you, God, I've been a, a, a jack wagon. It's okay to say that to the Lord. And God, right now, I want to let this go. I do not want this to control my life any longer. Whatever it is, you call upon the Lord. Can I encourage you? In 2020, your life will be significantly better at the end of this year. By simply saying, God, every single day, I'm going to carve out some time. It might be a walk. It might be at your lunch hour. It might be early in the morning. It might be late at night. It might be at a cafe. It might be out at Woodward Park, wherever it is. God, I want to know you. And so, Lord, I'm going to walk through these. Areas of, that need to be prayed. Lord, I praise you because of this. God, I confess this to you. God, I thank you for that. And God, these are the needs that I have and the needs that my loved ones have. And you're going to see God moving in your life literally in a way that you never thought was possible simply because you and I are, are saying, God, we want to come before you and Lord, we want to believe that Lord, you are the one who moves in answer to prayer. You know, this is all about a relationship. So do your business with the Lord today. But maybe as we talk about prayer, here's, here's the reality. No one is, no one is guaranteed that God is listening to their prayers and desires to answer them until they actually become a follower of His. See, this isn't about religion. This isn't about, you know, the Lord coming in and giving us all these things that you have to do in order for Him to accept you. No, you have to surrender your heart and God's favor and grace will come upon your life and you become his child. It's the child of God who actually has the promise of answered prayer. Well, how does that happen? Well, you, first you recognize that you are a part of the human race that has sinned against him. See, it's our sin that separates us from God. And we also come to realize that it was Jesus who 2,000 years ago went to the cross to take my sin. So we realize that Jesus is the one who went to the cross to actually pay for my sins. You recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You choose to repent of your sin. What does that mean? It means repentance is like just doing a 180. You've been living your life this way. You've been doing it your own way. And you choose to turn around and make a 180 degree turn and say, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose to live a life that honors you and glorifies you. And then you receive Jesus into your life. This morning, as we do every Sunday, maybe you're here this morning and today's the day you say, I want to be God's child. Today I want to have a, a, begin a relationship with God. What does it mean for you? It means that you choose to surrender to him and it means that you actually receive the promise of eternal life. If you were to ask yourself this question, if I were to die today, am I certain that I would actually go to heaven? If you don't know the answer to that or if you think that you being a better person is actually going to be the remedy to fix your sin condition. We've all been wrong with that one. The only way a person can actually ever get to heaven is actually by choosing to believe in Jesus Christ, the one that went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose from the dead three days later. And he's the one who actually gives you and I the ability to have eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I want that, Gordon. I want eternal life. I want my sins forgiven. I want a relationship with my Creator, and I want to know Him in a personal way. I'm going to pray in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to all bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. And if that's you this morning, man, I want you to, to, to call upon the Lord and ask Him to come into your life and make you a new person today. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me, God, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to. Lord, share your word and and God to walk through some of these areas that that each one of us, God, through our own, uh, Lord, stubbornness, our own decisions, Lord, our own unwillingness to let things go, we hinder great things that you want to do in our life. We thank you, Lord, that it never removes us from your presence. It never removes us from belonging to you. But Lord, it, it, it slows down our ability to see you move in answer to prayer. Lord, I also pray that you will bless us, God, to be men and women that will, Lord, do some examining in our hearts. I pray also for those who are here this morning, maybe who don't know you today. Lord, there might be one person here. God, there might be half a dozen people here today that need to commit their lives to you. Lord, they need their sins forgiven. And Lord, today they want to choose you, to become a follower of you, to have their sins forgiven, to be made whole and to be made new. I pray for them, God. Show them how much you love them, Jesus, and really how desperate we all are for you to be our Savior and our Lord.